God of justice, move us into action. Send us out, Lord, and then use us to your glory. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I bring you greetings from the East Preston United Baptist Church, a place where I am pleased and blessed to serve for the almost last five years. And I thank you so much, Dr. Gardner, for your <coughs> gracious welcome. Acadia Divinity College has, in a short time, become a true love of mine because of the people I have met here and all of what I have learned and already used in ministry. It is indeed a blessing, and I look forward to the continued journey with you all. Thank you, uh, Sister Erin is your name, for reading that scripture. I'm going to read it again only because I love it, amen, <laughs> but not because you didn't do it justice. And whoever that young lady was back there that was saying, wow, when he read my, my bio, keep doing that all the <laughs> I think I'll take her with me. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> Amos 5. Starting with verse 21 says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness, like a never-failing stream. I began this message today by sharing these words, which were penned by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., many years ago, over 50 years ago, in 1963, in a letter he addressed to his fellow Caucasian clergymen, while he was imprisoned in a Birmingham jail, Birmingham, Alabama, for protesting for the rights of all people, especially the rights of the Negro. Dr. King, as noted in the opening words of this letter, was responding to a criticism that had been lodged by the members of the clergy that said that he was an outsider and that, and he quotes it in this letter, his present activities in Birmingham were unwise and untimely. Throughout this letter, Dr. King describes the plight of black people in the face of all of the injustices in Birmingham and why it was a moral imperative that these injustices be addressed now rather than put off to the future. Then in, later in his letter, which is a very lengthy letter, but worthy of your reading it, <laughs> he says about the church, I have traveled the length and breadth of Alabama, Mississippi, and all of the southern states. On sweltering summer days and crisp autumn mornings, I have looked at the south's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I have beheld the impressive outlines of her massive religious education buildings. Over and over I have found myself asking what kind of people worship there. 
Who is their God? Where were their voices when Governor Wallace gave a clarion call for defiance and hatred? Where were their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decided to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency to the bright hills of creative protest? He goes on to say, in deep disappointment, I have wept over the laxity of the church. But he assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church, he says. How could I do otherwise? I am in the rather unique position of being the son, the grandson, and the great-grandson of preachers. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect and through fear of being nonconformist. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion, but it was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Then he says, but things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and even sometimes vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment is upon the church like never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. End of quote. The prophet Amos, as he lamented in chapter 5, and Dr. King, as he addressed his fellow clergymen, both pinpointed many years ago, One of the central problems that we have even, even in some of our church communities today, and that is the problem of hypocrisy, lack of authenticity, and commitment to the real work of the kingdom in and through God's church. This message is entitled, No More Church, and I should have put church in quotes, No More Church as Usual, because we have seen many changes among our churches. Changes for good and some changes that are not so good. But we are continually in need of self-examination as God's church if we are ever going to again be a real force in this world for Christ. Yes, we have seen a proliferation of megachurches, churches with attendance over 1,000, over 2,000 throughout the world. We have what's sometimes called celebrity, celebrity churches and celebrity pastors that boast large budgets and five-star resources and assets. We have multicultural churches where people of all races and cultural persuasions are joining together in faith to serve God regardless of their backgrounds and experience. 
We have denominations within denominations. Did you know that? <laughs> and then, get this, we have non-denominations which have become their own form of denomination. And likewise, we have multi-denomination, or I even heard it called interdenominational churches, where church seeks to honor all of the former denominations of its members who comprise that new family of God. Churches are owning property and businesses like never before and engaging in profit-making enterprises, which in turn can serve to finance ministry. There are churches that have even cut overhead and done away with the old brick and mortar and operate exclusively online, cyber churches, ones in which members just log in and hear the message of the day, and they even have a chance to respond through chat rooms, blogs, and email lists. Churches have expanded with multiple locations and services where ministers travel and deliver the same message to different groups of their congregation gathered in different spaces, all espousing a common relationship and unity with all members of this dispersed church. Indeed, there is no more church as usual or no more church as it used to be. Secular and Christian gospel artists are mixing their music and forming collaborations to deliver the message of the gospel in new and contemporary ways. And they are attracting the attention of young people and unchurched people seeking to be relevant and current in their delivery. Churches are not confined anymore to VBS, BTU, and CSS. And if you're a Baptist, you know what that is. <laughs> Vacation Bible School, Baptist Trading Union, and, and Church Sunday School. Bible study is not just held on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Bible study can be found in the morning, the midday, on the weekend, at night, at any time. Bibles and Bible study materials are being printed in every language and vernacular from high church kinds of, of translations. I call it to what I like to call the yo-yo-yo version. <laughs> I love that one, actually. It is hilarious to read. Sermons are available on the Internet if anyone is interested in viewing them. And worship services are broadcast all throughout the world. Every person has access to information about the scriptures and how others have interpreted them. Preachers are being educated at higher and higher levels. Seasoned professionals are retiring their 401ks and cashing in their stocks and bonds and investing their resources in churches that God has called them to plant. Women are entering the ministry and the pastorate of churches in record numbers. And many are respecting our place at the table. While young people are carving out their own church experience through praise dancing, Christian rap music, and different styles of preaching and teaching and unique and personal expressions of their faith. Yes, we are living in a time where there is no more church as usual. No more church as we knew it years and years ago. The stronghold of tradition that threatened to choke the life out of some of our churches and our ability to evangelize others into the church has been largely eliminated. But let's not move too fast. Lest we should make the mistake of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Even in this time of technological advances, new and innovative methods bringing renewal to our churches, high levels of education and resources available to the church, diversity, diversity in worship, inviting many into the church experience, we must never forget one of the most important responsibilities of God's church, and that is the care of souls. All 
of God's children. Dr. King, in his letter from the Birmingham jail and the prophet Amos in our Old Testament scriptures, a prophet that Dr. King often quoted, both shed light on the condition that existed then in God's church or God's collection of believers. And I'm afraid to say that much of what they showed us is still prevalent. There is still a lack of focus on that which brings justice for all and true righteousness in God's church. Dr. King was called to go to many strange and un unknown places, just like the prophet Amos, where he wasn't wanted and where he was viewed as an outsider. And I believe God is calling many of us who make up God's church to minister and to serve in the same way. The prophet Amos was a self-described shepherd who cared for sycamore trees. He was minding his own business. Anybody know anything about that? When God called him to go from where he was familiar with, the southern region of Judah, to the northern region of Israel, to speak out as a prophet to people he didn't know and people who really didn't want to hear what he had to say. <laughs> Amos the prophet confronted the church folks and was instantly disliked and labeled a troublemaker. You see, brothers and sisters, when you preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Folk will turn on you. <laughs> they won't like you. <laughs> but God calls us. God calls us to unfamiliar and uncomfortable places with unpopular messages, but with a mandate to step outside of our comfort zones with a goal of ushering in or creating an environment so God can do God's transformative work. Thank you, Pastor Les Summers. Amos spoke out about injustice, as did Dr. King, and they called out the hypocrisy of the church. Look in, in verses 21 and 24 again. We hear God speaking through Amos and calling out the people and talking about their regular worship. I hear God saying through these verses, look, I am tired of your so-called worship services. You know the ones where certain people parade around like peacocks and certain other people are treated like they are gods? The services where you lift up holy hands and worship to me but totally neglect your neighbor who is in need and who is sitting right next to you? God says to them, I hate them. Your religious feasts are just that, something you do religiously without fail and without true purpose. Feasts in which you reward yourself for all you've done and you feed and you honor yourselves. I hate them because you have replaced me with them. They are no longer done in honor and reference to me. I hear God saying that you cannot, he cannot stand the assemblies where all the bishops and potentates and dignitaries are paraded to be seen of men, but the poor people in need of something to eat are locked out. They're left off the guest list, and they can't even get crumbs off the master's table. He says, I hate them. I'm not present in them. I'll have nothing to do with them. Oh, and he even rejects their offerings, their choice offerings, the cleanest, fattest calf, what used to be an acceptable offering. He has no regard for them. It's like he's saying you could have just as well kept it because I don't want it. It means nothing to me. And then to top it all off, this is the one that really got me, he calls their singing and their music noise. Noise in the ear of God the one we should be singing to. But then he says, let justice 
roll down or roll on like water, like a river, and righteousness like a never-ending stream. God says that none of what you do means anything to me if you don't practice justice and righteousness. Or if you give with one hand and take away with another, you are not my disciple. If there are people who are hungry, people in need, people being discriminated against, people being deprived of their basic rights to human dignity and liberty, people who are hated and wrongfully treated because of the color of their skin without regard to the content of their character, in the words of Dr. King, and you sit silently by in your high worship services with your hands lifted up but your heart closed to those who you are called to be open to. You are no representatives of me. God lets us all know that worship without authenticity is not worship at all. And it is the fastest way to ruin. In the earlier verses of chapter 5, he describes some of the acts of hypocrisy when he says you're hating the one who reproves in court and the people who tell the truth. You're trampling on the poor and forcing them to give you grain. Oppressing the righteous, taking bribes and depriving the poor of justice in the courts. Neglecting the other in favor of yourselves. God says that we believers, followers of God who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground will be held accountable. We will build mansions that we won't be able to live in them. We will plant lush vineyards and we won't be able to drink their wine. He says God will crush us as a card crushes when loaded with grain. But as always, God always provides a message of hope. Even when we find ourselves outside of the will of God and moving quickly along the road of despair and destruction, when he says in the text, seek me and live. Seek good and shun evil. Hate evil and love good. And I hear God saying, and keep justice in your courts, in your homes, in your churches, and in your entire lives. It is no secret that right now in 2015, all throughout the world, there are racial tensions and growing numbers of destructive forces that are seeking to divide the people of God by any means necessary. And one of the oldest tricks in the book of the enemy is to separate people based on their race, their nationality, their creed. You know, it is still statistically true that the 11 o'clock hour, if that's when, and that's when most churches hold their morning services, the 11 o'clock hour continues to be the most segregated hour in the entire week throughout the world in worship. Many people live, work, play, and worship within their race and only rarely and from a distance encounter the other. And that has a lot to do with why we reach so many faulty conclusions about each other because we don't really know one another. We have witnessed the reemergence of protests and demonstrations seeking to address many of the same issues that Dr. Martin Luther King and many people of all races shed their blood, sweat, and tears for. And as an African American, it has greatly blessed my heart as I have witnessed the scores of people of all races all throughout my country, even in Halifax, throughout Canada, and throughout the world who have united in solidarity against the injustices that have occurred 
involving the killings of black men at the hands of some of our law enforcement officers. People are laying aside their differences based on their upbringing, their cultures, their personal preferences, and are instead choosing to stand together against wrong, to stand for that which is right. For all people, no matter what color, nationality, or creed. And there is power in numbers, especially when these numbers are bound together by the common cause of Christ and being led by the people of God as an unmistakable witness of God's continuing presence in the world. Recently in December, unprecedented numbers of organizations, city councils, Congress people, university officials uh, uh, in the U.S., and even seminary presidents and professors joined together in unity to march against injustices affecting the black race, particularly surrounding the deaths of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and Eric Garner in Staten Island, New York. I was particularly proud of the new president of my alma mater, Princeton Theological Seminary, President Craig Barnes, who participated with a large number of the seminary professors, professors in this student march. And he said, I want to show my solidarity with them as they advocate for the changes in our society that are necessary to prevent these tragedies in our streets. Then shortly after, on January 15th, it was reported that the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church of the USA, the presidents met together, which is predominantly Caucasian presidents, including President Barnes, and they issued a letter affirming the need for racial justice. And in response to an open letter that was sent by African-American presidents and deans in theological education, this is what these Presbyterian presidents in unity stated. We commit to creating and sustaining conversations, programs, and actions that are consistent with the missions of our schools that respond to our country's current situation so that we might embrace anew a vision of the beloved community. And then it goes on to say, your prophetic witness inspires us. Our own various complicities within oppressive structures humbles us. May the spirit of God which dwells in each of us transform our world so that we might more fully embrace a Christian witness that seeks to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Brothers and sisters, God seeks to take God's church back <laughs> and to set her back in the place where she was originally intended to be, as a headquarters, safe haven, safe place. Those who believe in the principles of God and are committed to standing in solidarity to spread these principles all over the world. The gospel writer says the time is now when God is looking for true worshipers, people who worship God in spirit and in truth. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. No more church as usual. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you all.